man, please make all that a priority, really. Like as Will said, it will transform your experience of Easter. You know, we are looking for Jesus. And there's a wisdom to this week, the way that it is all set up and plays out. And if you will experience that, if you'll, if you'll enter into that rhythm, if you'll make space for that, you know, if you'll get here early, if you'll fight through the traffic and the tunnel, that's an exceptional joy, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, it's my favorite. It really is. And the fact that it's never going to end is even more favorite of mine. But, but really, like, get here early, have a seat, quiet your heart, like some of you do before Sunday mornings, which is just awesome. Love seeing that. And enter in, and it, it'll be amazing. Okay? All right. Well, as we begin our journey toward Easter today, we, we come to a story that we find in the Gospel of Luke, but we find it also in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. And so if you're familiar with the way the New Testament is set up, uh, what is a gospel? Gospel means good news. And you've got Matthew and Mark and Luke and then also John, and they are coming to you with a story of the life of Jesus, who he is, what he's like, what he's done, what he will yet do, what he taught, what he did, all of the above, and it is all of it good news. So they are heralding forth Jesus. And the story that we're going to look at today, we find, yes, in Luke, but we also find it in Matthew, and we also find it in Mark, and that's actually kind of helpful, because each one of these guys contributes things to the story at times that the other ones don't mention. Now, they don't contradict, they help. So I'll give you an example. We're going to be looking at the story of a guy who is young. How do we know that? Well, Luke doesn't tell us that, although we're going to be mostly in Luke. Mark doesn't say a thing about it. Matthew's like, hey, by the way, this guy was young. He's also fabulously wealthy. Okay, all three of them hit that. And then on top of that, and this is really important, he's a ruler. Now, Matthew doesn't mention that. Mark doesn't mention that. But Luke's like, these guys left this out. I'm going to throw this in. This is important. This guy is a ruler. What does it mean that he's a ruler? It means that he is a part of the governing religious class of Israel in the days of Jesus. He's part of the religious elite, the religious establishment that at this point in the narrative of the story of Jesus is not just vehemently opposed to Jesus. They are now shifted to violently opposed to Jesus. They've tried every other tactic. They've tried to discredit him. They've tried to trap him in his words. They've tried to humiliate him with embarrassing questions or things that they thought that they could use to make him look this, that, or the other thing. And all that they've done is brought that upon themselves. It's like every time they've come and they've wanted to argue with Christ, and they've ended up walking away with their tail between their legs going, man, that didn't work. I didn't see it going that way, which is, by the way, the way it works when you argue with God. <laughs> Little side notes. Okay. This man is a rich young ruler. He's a part of this class of people that stands violently opposed to Jesus at this point. That's his peer group. It's who he hangs with. And yet, it's pretty clear that this guy is powerfully moved by the teachings of Jesus. And I say that because when you go to Mark's version of this story, you realize that Jesus is making his way through these towns and he's teaching. He comes to this guy's town and he's teaching. And a big crowd gathers of which this guy is a part of the crowd. So when the sermon is over, Jesus gets up, he's going to go to the next town, and he begins to leave, and this guy, Mark tells us, bursts forth from the crowd like he can't control himself. He bursts forth from the crowd, he runs in front of Jesus, and then he falls on his knees, on his face before the Lord, which in that culture was a sign of abject humility, of complete subservience to the one before whom you are humbling yourself. And then he asks Jesus a religious question. Think about it, because he's a religious guy. He hangs with all the religious guys. He has access to the greatest teachers in Israel in all likelihood. And he's basically saying, yeah, none of us have an answer for this one. I've asked, and 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 I've asked. 
and I've asked, and now I'm going to ask you. And everybody in his town who witnesses this, it's like shock and awe. Because in that one move, you have a wealthy man bowing to a poor man. That didn't happen. You have a man of status bowing to a man who had no status. That didn't happen. You have a highly educated man bowing to one with no formal education. Didn't happen. You have a part of this group of people who are trying at this point to put Jesus to death, bowing to the one that the whole group is trying to put to death. So clearly he values the opinion of Jesus on this topic that he will raise. But he doesn't value Jesus. That's the difference. There are a lot of people in my life, there are a lot of people in your life, a lot more probably in your life, really, because I'm kind of, you know, like I'm a pastor, I'm at the church, I'm here all the time, I work with Christians. But there are a lot of people who look at Jesus and they go, man, Jesus, Jesus, I value his opinion. I think that he has something to say. I, I think there's some wisdom there to be gained. I mean, you know, I don't need to buy this and I don't need to buy that, but I might buy this and I might buy that. And like, he's worth listening to. You know what? I want to hear Jesus, what you have to say on this topic, but I don't get Jesus. I don't know who he is. I, I don't understand what he's come to do. I don't see him. I don't have a right view of Jesus yet. Those are the people that invite to Alpha. Maybe that's you. You're like, yeah, that's why I'm here. You know, like I'm trying to figure that out. Good. Here's the bottom line for today. Having the right view of Jesus gives you the right view of everything else, of everyone else. It's like it's by the light of seeing Christ rightly that we then begin to see everything else. We're able to see ourselves for who we really are, but we don't see ourselves for who we really are until we see him for who he really is. You get the idea? Our possessions, reputation, this, that, and the other thing. All of the things that we're chasing in life, it's kind of like I can't rightly appraise these things because I can't rightly see these things because I don't have the light of the right view of Jesus by which to take a look at them until I do. The right view of Jesus gives you the right view of everything and everyone else including your own self. C.S. Lewis really famously put it this way. It's probably one of his most famous quotes. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun in the sky is the idea has risen, not only because I can look in the sky and I can see it, but because by it, I see everything else. We find Luke's version of our story today in Luke 18, uh, beginning in verse 18, where, where we read this. Luke says, and this rich young ruler, who again has just burst forth from the crowd, right? He's chased Jesus down. No, 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 you can't leave yet. He's blocked his path. He's on his face. Total subjection. Total humility. Then asks Jesus a question that, first of all, betrays a deep insecurity in this man's heart about where he's going to spend eternity. Can you relate to that? I think we can all relate to that on some level. I don't think it's something we think about until we go to a funeral or until we go to the doctor and he goes, hey, or until we look in the mirror and go, good grief, you know, what happened to the young Tom? I shared with you last week, I learned last week that I am now a Rio Classic and I've been a Rio Classic for a couple years. Who knew? All I know is that I'm getting a free lunch out of the deal after the second service. So it has its advantages. But there's a deep insecurity in this guy about where we're going to spend eternity. Look, if you really believe that there is a God, and that's deep in the heart of man, even if we want to deny it. Does that not live there? 
This guy sells himself out in some sense. His whole peer group is not going to be too excited about this event, and they will hear about it. Like he doesn't say to Jesus, you know, I'm going to send you a secret courier, and then we're going to meet at night, and I'm going to, you know, and then like, so nobody sees this happen. No, no, no. Everybody sees this happen. He's wondering, man. He has a deep insecurity about where he's going to spend eternity. And then secondly, this question makes it clear that he doesn't have a right view of Jesus. And I say that because here comes the question. He says, good, and then he says, teacher. So who is Jesus to this man? He is a good teacher. Like if Jesus was a teacher here in Broward County, this guy, you know, I mean, he's got friends in high places. He'd be like, hey, I'm going to call some of my buddies because I'm thinking you are teacher of the year. Like you are amazing, Jesus. Woo, you are a good teacher. That's it. So far, that's it. He says, good teacher. And then we see that he doesn't see himself clearly either. No right view of Jesus, therefore no light by which to see his own self, his deficiencies, his inabilities. He said, what must I, then here comes the key word, do to inherit eternal life? Now, why is that revealing of the fact that this guy doesn't have a proper view of Jesus and of himself, therefore, and everything and everyone else. Well, because when you come to the Bible, the Bible makes it abundantly clear, and Jesus himself claims this, that Jesus is God. And when you come to the Bible, and you look at these instances in which people step into the presence of God consciously, what happens? Oh my goodness, they become totally aware of the reality that they cannot do anything to inherit eternal life, like that it is game over. When you gaze even for a moment upon the holiness of God, upon the beauty of God, upon the perfections of God, upon the righteousness of God, you realize, yeah, I don't have a shot. And beyond that, you realize, I don't have a shot because I've just realized that the standard of good is God. So in other words, when we get to the end and we're all paraded before the Lord, it's not like God's going to line up all of humanity and go, yeah, call your name, you know, step forward. Okay, Tom, when I compare your life to the lives of everyone else, you barely make the cut, dude, but you do. Like you're in the top 49.99999%. So welcome into my heaven. No. He's going to compare my life with his. Uh-oh. That's a problem, isn't it? Good gets a little bit recategorized here. So wait a minute. So my holiness to yours, my, my, the beauty, uh, you know, to yours, like the, my righteousness to yours. And if that's the standard, everyone is undone. Which means that the only thing that we can do to inherit eternal life, and this is what Jesus is inviting this man and me and you and everybody else to do, is to burst forth from the crowd of humanity, to run over in front of Jesus, to stop and to bow before him in authentic humility, and to say, Lord, rescue me. Lord, save me. I believe you lived the only good as God life because you are God, and that you laid it down on Good Friday, which we get to celebrate this Friday, in my place, that all of my failures and unholiness and things that aren't so beautiful, etc., will be covered over by the perfections of your blood that I might be forgiven and healed and, and adopted into your family as one of your children. Like, okay, that's not what this guy does because that's not who Jesus is to him. He doesn't see that in the Lord, so he doesn't see that in himself. 
or in anything or anyone else. He misappraises it all. There's no light. It's just darkness, but he doesn't realize it. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And watch what Jesus does because it's brilliant. He challenges him on the use of the word good. He's like, okay, so by good, do you mean good in comparison with the rest of humanity or do you mean good in comparison with God? And by the way, I'm God. So there you go then. Because until you realize that that's the comparison to make, you are not working with the right definition of good, and you will not realize that you are not, in fact, good. There's nothing you can do to inherit eternal life but to put your faith in me, the one who is good, and I've been good for you. That's the idea. And so Jesus says to him in verse 19, why do you call me good? And then he gives us the definition of good. He's not hiding it. He says, no one is good except God alone. And you didn't just call me good God, you called me good teacher. So I'm thinking that, you know, you don't know who I am because I am in fact God and you're working with the wrong definition of good. And so what Jesus then tries to do to help this man is he rolls out some of the Ten Commandments. He just starts working through them. Now, why does he do that? Because he wants this man to realize that he's not in fact good. And oh, by the way, the Ten Commandments are in fact a reflection of the nature and of the character of God. He's like, these have come out of the heart of God. And when you properly understand the breadth and the depth and the length and the whatnot of these commandments, what they require of you, you're like, wow, God is off the charts amazing and I need some help. It's humbling in a way that drives you to that help. It's a tutor. It brings us to Jesus. It reveals our need for him, which is gracious and good. It's really quite beautiful. But this guy doesn't have that understanding of the, he doesn't see the law that way. Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. And then he says, all right, so let's do this. You know the commandments. And Jesus starts to to recite some of them. He says, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. At which point this man appears at least to like interrupt Jesus. It's like he's going, yeah, 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 yeah. I know them all. And then here's what he claims. He says, all these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said, oh, really? Is that right? Well, apparently you missed my Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5 through 7. You can probably find it on Spotify. I'm sure somebody captured it. There's got to be a YouTube video of this somewhere. You should listen to it. And look at what I teach about the law in particular, like you shall not murder. Okay, well, I don't just mean, you know, out there. I mean in here. And you can't drive around Fort Lauderdale. You know, like you can't make it through the tunnel without murdering somebody in here, can you? Don't lie. You know I'm right. The law is pervasive. Okay, great, you haven't killed anyone out here. You killed like nine people on the way here. In here alone, just wait, it'd be worse on the way out. And it's not just negative, it's positive. What do you mean by that? Like the law doesn't just come to us and say, don't kill. Don't kill tells us something about the value that God places on life. And it says, promote life. You get the idea? So it's not just what I'm not supposed to do. It also speaks now to what I am supposed to do. And I am to be a cultivator of life, to be a promoter of life, to be a protector of life. Born and unborn. Sorry, but it's true. Why? Because when you come to the Bible, you understand that unborn people are people too. And let me just say, if you just think about it for a second reasonably, you know that too. Do you not? You do. Geneticists are telling us that. Do you know that the male brain is not fully formed until you're 25? That explains a lot, doesn't it? 
I mean, most of the really dumb things I did before I was 25, and now that gives me a convenient excuse. Well, I, you know, my brain was not fully developed yet, so there's a lot to apologize to my parents for. You begin to develop when you're conceived, and you keep developing until you're 25 if you're a man. I think it's 24 if you're a woman. We understand these things, and there's grace for this. But what does the law require of us? It requires of us not to do things, and it requires of us to do things, and it requires of us not to do them out here or in here. It's overwhelming. Okay, Jesus doesn't go there. He just looks into the heart of this guy like only he can do, and he's like, all right, so, you know, here's the deal. When I look at your life, your safety is your God. Your security, your, your money is your security. It is your safety. It is what you're looking to for your significance. All of it. He's like, it may not be true for, you know, other people or whatever, but in your unique case, this is your deal. And so he just cuts right to the chase. He realizes this guy is covetous. In other words, no matter how much he has, he needs more. He wants more. He looks at other people with more. He's like, yes, I need to get to that level. He says, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute the proceeds to the poor. And notice this, and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, if you take that seriously, that's better than treasure on earth. Why? Because the treasure on earth you leave behind when you die, and then there's inflation, and you know, there's all of this stuff that comes to steal, to take, to depreciate. And he's like, no, no, you'll get better than what you got. And then he says, and come and follow me. Jesus is not saying that if you want to follow him, you need to sell everything that you have and give to the poor and all of that. So it's not the point. He's dealing with this man's unique issue. And he's just going to the heart of it literally and saying, all right, so this is your issue. Let me show that to you by calling you out on it in a way that is inviting you to come and follow me and in me to find what you're not finding in that stuff, but you can't tell that you're not finding it in that stuff. You're still thinking you must be able to somehow, some way, because you don't see it clearly, because you don't see me clearly. And since this man does not have a right view of Jesus and therefore of anything or anyone else, Luke says this in in verse 13, It says, but when this rich young ruler heard these things from Jesus, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich, and he didn't see himself and therefore his riches or anything else or anyone else, clearly in the light of Jesus. He was blind to Jesus and therefore blind on some level to everything and everyone else. And so he got up off his knees and he dusted himself off, he turned his back, and he walked away from the only source of forgiveness of safety, of security, of significance. How do I know that I matter? Jesus died for me. That's how I know. Of meaning and purpose. What can I do with this life? How will I use this life in such a way as to make a difference? Like, really? Authentically? Mission of Christ. That's, that's the deal. Of life itself, he walks away from life, abundant in this life, and eternal in the next life. And I love the, how Jesus later ends this conversation a couple of verses later because the Apostle Peter and all the disciples are sitting there. They're watching all of this play out. You know, and like Peter, who speaks for the whole group, because they're all thinking the same thing. They're like, okay, so Jesus invited this guy to follow him, and he's got to give away everything to do it. Really, he's dealing with his covetousness, but but they're thinking, hey, well, that's exactly what we did. I mean, you know, maybe we didn't have as much to give away as this guy, but nevertheless... 
We've done that. And what, what does that mean for us? Peter says in verse 28 to the Lord, see, we have left our homes and not just their homes, everyone in the homes. These are first century Jewish men. Do you know what that means? They were married with kids. That's what it means. Everybody got married. And one of the primary goals of marriage in that day, have kids. So almost certainly that was the case for all of these guys. They left wives. They left children. Weigh that out for a second. That almost sounds irresponsible. Like, what are you, ta- what are you talking about? They left their siblings. They left their families. They left their friends. They left their family businesses. They, like, there wasn't anything they didn't leave. Now, they went back to town and, you know, like, but still, they put it all out there. And listen to what Jesus says to them and us. He says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife, he plays it out, or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive what? Many times more where? Because here's what you're expecting, in eternal life only. It's not what he says. He gets there, but he says in this time, meaning in this life and in the age to come, okay, eternal life. He's saying having a right view of me is the key to securing what you're looking for in this life. And it's the key to securing the eternal life to come. Because when you see me, you realize you need me. And when you see me, you realize I'm here for you. I came for you. I laid down my life for you. And that in me is found everything you're looking for and all of the other things that you're chasing, but you don't see that. You don't see their deficiencies until you see me and all of my sufficiency. Having the right view of Jesus gives you the right view of everything and everyone else. And here's what you might be thinking at this point. You might be thinking, all right, I at least understand, hopefully, <laughs> what, what you said. Like, you, you made your point, I followed the logic mostly, and here we are. Uh, what does any of this have to do with Palm Sunday? Because I do think that's a fair question at this point. We have palms on the stage, and Tommy walked right by them, and I, you know, like... But what does Palm Sunday commemorate? Because Will talked about it. It commemorates that moment where on the Sunday before Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter, Jesus rides into town on the kingly beast of Israel. A donkey, humble, lowly comes your Savior. And he goes up into the city of Jerusalem. And there were two kinds of people there on that day that we see illustrated in this man. He is unlike one, he is like the other. So you had this crowd of people who are hailing Jesus as the great Messiah King, who are taking their cloaks, you know, and I've talked about this in the past, but it's not like they had J. Crew back then. You know, like sometimes I show up and I'm wearing a shirt and you're wearing the same shirt, okay? Whatever, you know, we're guys, it doesn't matter, all right? But back then, all of these articles of clothing were uniquely created. And so you became known, and you only had like one typically, you became known by the cloak that you wore. It was identified with you. And so all these people started taking their cloaks off and laying them in front of the donkey that Jesus is riding on as if to say, I and all that I have and all that I am, I put at your feet, O great Messiah King. They cut down the palm branches, you know, and they're running ahead of Jesus and they're throwing the palm branches, which are emblems of their land. They're saying, us and our land, we we lay before you, you alone are worthy, great Messiah King. They shouted Hosanna, it means save us now. 
Come and bring salvation. Save us. Rescue us. What do they understand? Now, they did not fully understand yet the salvation that Jesus came to bring, but they understood they needed to be saved, and he was the Savior. They saw enough to see that and then to see what? Everything their cloak represents, everything the palm branches represent, all of it in that light of who he is. So that's person number one. Person number two is like the rich young ruler. You're looking at Jesus and going, yeah, I don't really see you for who you are. I don't, I don't get why you came. I, and therefore, I don't see myself, and I don't really realize that I need to be saved. In fact, I think I can save myself, and I, I, I don't need to be saved. And here's who you, Jesus, therefore then are to me. You are a threat to my money, to my reputation, to my status, to my career, to my whatever. And I'm like, to you. I don't see this for what it is because I don't see you for who you are. When, you, when I do, then everything else gets reprioritized and recategorized and, and the values change entirely. And as we enter into Holy Week, looking for an accurate view of Jesus, I just want to ask you, which one are you? I mean, just honest appraisal, like, which one are you? Number one, if you realize that you need to be saved and that only Jesus can save you, that he alone can do that. You see him, you see yourself, you're like, oh, no. And then you see him again, and you're like, oh, yes. <laughs> he can do this. That's, that's what he's about in part. Or two, do you think that Jesus is just a good teacher or a prophet? That's what a lot of the world believes. It may be exactly what you believe today. And so kind of like in either case, I want to give you an action point. Like if you're going, man, I realize I need to be saved and I'm not. Hey, look, we're going to be here after, after the service is over. Just come up. Let us talk to you and pray with you. It's not intimidating, really. Like we're just normal folks, truthfully. Or if you're like in the prophet section or you're going, eh, I'm at least willing to consider whether or not Jesus is more than a good teacher then come to Alpha. Alpha is made for you. Now, let me make a statement about Alpha, mostly for the church people, but then also for you if I just described you. Alpha is not for Christians. It is a wonderful and amazing program that we create for people who are not Christians, and we do that very intentionally, and we preserve particularly the group time for people who are working it out, man, and who want to work it out out loud and not feel like somebody's going to argue with them or try to pressure them or try to persuade them. We have a wonderful meal. We have an excellent video on whatever the topic of the week is, like the first one is, is there more to life than this? I love that video. And then we, the Christians, commit to creating that environment. So if you are a believer in Jesus and you've not been through our training, there are all kinds of Bible studies and so forth here at the church that we would love to kind of direct you toward and that I think you'd actually find a lot more satisfying. But otherwise, uh, if you're part of the team, we need you. And if you have a friend who's like, I can't go, I won't go unless you go with me. All right, come with your friend. We'd love to have you to come with your friend and then just sit there and pray, which is not easy to do. It's not. It's not easy for me. And I'm one of the table hosts. All right, have you realized that you need to be saved and that only Jesus can save you? Or do you think that Jesus is just a good teacher or a prophet? Are you willing 
to commit or at least take the journey. Because this is a great week to go, you know what? I'm in or I'm at least willing to take the journey. Engage in this week. Come to Alpha. Or if you're willing to commit today, just come forward and talk with us. We won't push you, but we will love on you and pray for you. Okay? All right, let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your work in our behalf. Your work, Lord, of this week. God, I lift this week before you and I lift the hearts and the minds, the eyes and the ears of us as a congregation. And I pray that you will use every aspect of this week to give us a clearer and clearer and more light-filled vision of our Savior. Let us see Jesus this week. And let us then see ourselves. And then let us see Jesus again and the way that he rescues us, the way that he fills us with his spirit, the way that he wraps his arms around us and invites us into his family, the way that he repurposes our lives and leads us, the companionship of Christ. Lord, let us see the Lord. And then in the light of that, let us see everything and everyone else. Let us love better and appreciate more our spouses because we've seen Jesus and he's begun a work in our heart. Let us love more and appreciate better our children and be wiser in our guidance of them because we've seen Jesus and he's begun a work in our heart. Let us work in our careers and our workplaces and, and be friends in our neighborhoods and work with our families and all of these things make us better because we've seen Jesus. And now we see them and love and appreciate them more and have a greater heart and wisdom by which to, to love and appreciate them more. Come and capture us this week, Lord, and do it for you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.